morning. I am Tom Zentz. My wife Carrie and I have had the privilege of being part of this body since 1984. It's been a while. And every time we have a chance to speak or share God's word, it's a humbling um, time. I do ask you to pray. And quite frankly, with our topic today, which is um, the believer's response to trials, I feel very inadequate to teach this lesson. So I do ask you uh, to pray. And would you join me as we look to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we just sang that Christ is mine forevermore. And we cling to those truths that you have sent your only son, Jesus, to this world to live a perfect life, to die on our behalf. We who rebelled against you. He died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again, and today he lives. And you are preparing a place for us. Lord, we rejoice and are humbled that you translated us from the kingdom of your dear son into your own kingdom, made us part of your family. We, uh, this morning, will be looking into your word at a difficult topic. We ask that you would open our hearts to hear what your spirit would have for us. Father, teach us and continue your work of making us more into the image of your dear son, Jesus. Right now, I would pray for Pastor Andrew and Alex. I ask that you would strengthen them. I ask, Father, that they would have even now opportunities to declare the truths of your word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would take your word, your spirit would work in a way to change people's hearts. For all these leaders that are attending and listening, and I pray, Father, that they would carry that news back to their homes, to their churches, and that the kingdom would expand there in Russia. Father, there are many people suffering around the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. I ask that you would help them to know your love and your presence and your power. I think of these that we've heard recently who were kidnapped in Haiti, these, this missions team. God, I, I pray that right now they would know that you were with them and that your spirit would rest upon them. And Father, that with a courage that only you could give, they would be able to respond in a way that magnifies Jesus Christ. And I ask that you would turn this situation, transform this suffering into a time of glory for Jesus Christ. Perhaps here, Father, there are some who are currently going through different struggles, challenges, hardships. God, I ask that you would also help them, help this body, that together we would encourage one another, together we would proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, together we would grow, not for our own sake, but because of what Jesus has done for us. We commit our time to you this morning. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to be looking at our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 9. For those of you uh, who need it in your pew right there in the Bible, there's a, a, a Bible in front of you. It's page 1016. But before we actually go there, 
I want you to just uh, remember what Peter had said to the believers there in this letter in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter, actually chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. I want us to remind ourselves of the calling that we have in Christ Jesus. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. We've had the privilege of studying through this book of 1 Peter, and Pastor Andrew and Pastor David have faithfully brought us the word of God. We have learned what it means to, to magnify Christ, but I'm not always sure that we like what we're hearing. Because one of the things that Pastor Andrew has taught us, what the word of God is teaching us, is that it's through suffering for the name of Jesus Christ that we bring honor to Christ. He's taught us that it's through submission to authorities that God has sovereignly placed over us that we bring honor to Christ. He's taught us that it's through sanctification, our submitting ourselves to God and saying no to sin that brings honor to Christ. It's through our service for others, even when it's inconvenient, that brings honor to Christ. It's interesting to me that just after we reread this, about our calling to magnify Jesus Christ, we're reminded of this. Peter says, you are sojourners and exiles. You are strangers in a foreign country. It is intentional so that they know that they're not to plant their roots too deeply in this world. Sadly, the Western church, I think, has largely forgotten that. We've allowed this, the, the, the allurement of this world to be the first place we go to, to, to entertain us, to give us peace, to give us rest. You are probably familiar with a periodical called The Voice of the Martyrs. I confess to you that we do get this, but it sits laying on top of a desk most of the time. You know why that is? Because this is very uncomfortable reading. I, maybe that's not true for you. The uh, president of the organization, Cole Richards, writes this. It, it, it's, I'm not gonna read the whole thing. It's just an introduction. This issue is on the suffering and the faithful teaching of the word of God in uh, Kenya and Somali, Somalia. But listen to what he says right at the very outset. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. 
He then explains that these who would give their lives for, for the Lord have to say no to the things of this world. But listen to this. If we, that's you and me, if we are not careful, we will allow the things of this world to dominate our lives via mass media and our devices that support it. Many of us are so devoted to information about the temporal world that we offer it our first waking thought each morning. We spend hours absorbing and discussing it with others throughout the day and even allow it the final word as we drift off to sleep at night. I think we're all guilty of that. The idea that we are to suffer is very uncomfortable. Uh, if you have your outline, we are following the believer's response to trials. And if you would, before we go into that, join me. I'm going to read from our passage. This is uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You have your outlines. We're going to be looking at four different responses of the believer's in their trials. Uh, number one is expect your trial. Expect your trial. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. If you are studying through this study book, and I hope you are, what you're gonna see is in this particular passage, Pastor Andrew has already challenged us to look at the words surprised and the word strange as they have the same root meaning. That root meaning is actually foreign or strange. Foreign or alien. So if you have letter A there, it's your trial is not alien to the Christian life. This is really synonymous with what Peter said in chapter 2, verse 11. He says, you are sojourners. You are exiles. You do not belong here. Not, not permanently. In fact, this is hostile territory. So don't be surprised. Remember, Paul said to the church at Philippi in chapter 3, verse 20 of Philippians, he says, your citizenship is where? It's in heaven. Colossians chapter 3. We are to set our affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Why? Because this is not our home. It's not our permanent home. There will be Hardships, they are to be expected while we live in hostile territory. In fact, the opposite would be true. 
If you went through this life and you had no trials, no challenges, no hardships, that would be a really strange thing indeed. Paul says as much to his uh, son of the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, he says in John chapter 6, verse 33, I have said these things, 16 rather, I have said these things to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, what? You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In our August 31st edition of the Maranatha Minute, and I do hope that you read the Maranatha Minute, and if you should be able to pull it up and get August 31st, I really commend this one to you because this has a link to a, a, an interview with Nick Ripkin. Nick Ripkin is the author of The Insanity of God. Uh, Nick and his wife were missionaries in Somalia. And while they were there, they lost uh, one of their sons, teenage boy, to an illness. They had faced many struggles and, and challenges and hardships, and it was extremely difficult. Uh, Nick and his wife decided to take some time and just to figure out, what's, what is God trying to do? And so they decided together that they were going to look around the world and find some of the most difficult places where Believers in Jesus Christ were persecuted for that name. And how did they do it? And so they interviewed people in Russia, in China, all over the world. And um, if you get into that video, it's about an hour and a half, but if you go right to the one hour mark, almost exactly, you're gonna come upon a scene where Nick is um, in this room with these believers from Russia. And they have been telling him of the stories of God's grace and his, his intervention and his coming alongside of them during extremely challenging times. And Nick is starts, he starts to actually chide them. He says, you need to create videos and you need to write books and send this to the rest of the world because they need to hear. And right that moment, an older pastor gets up and he walks over and stands next, next to Nick and he kind of takes Nick and he moves him over to the window at the east of the house and just as the sun is rising in the morning. And he says, Nick, you see the sun rising? He says, you have three boys, right? He goes, yeah. He says, uh, Nick, how often do you take your three boys and, and walk them over to the eastern window and say, boys, look, the sun is rising. And Nick said to this pastor, I don't do that. And the pastor says, why not? He says, because the sun comes up every day. And the old pastor turned back to Nick and he said, that's why we don't make videos. That's why we don't write books about persecution. Because it happens every day. Friends, you and I don't live in that world here. We suffer hardship. In fact, I, I look around and I see some of you have had hardship. You've had incredible loss. Some of you right now are going through physical challenges and pain. But this kind of daily 
persecution for the name of Jesus Christ for most of us is still quite foreign. So how do we respond? Uh, We continue, letter B. You need to know your trial is for testing. Your trial is for testing. He says in here that, that this is a fiery trial. Sometimes I wish that adjective wasn't added. Just put trial. But it's a fiery trial. Many commentators suggest that Peter may be writing this letter right after the initiation of uh, some of the persecution from Nero and Rome upon Christians. And that because of that, this is to be taken literally. Others have said that, well, this imagery is for the purging of metals. And so symbolically, it it is the the purging of our lives, taking away the dross in our lives. And I think both are, are true. This imagery is for a persecution that God uses to transform us and to purify his people. Job says as much in Job 23.10, but he knows the way that I take. Isn't that great? The Lord knows. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You compare this with what Peter wrote earlier in chapter one of 1 Peter, verses six and seven, where he says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even the brother of Jesus, James, he says this in chapter, uh, chapter one of James, verses two through four, and then also verse 12. And by the way, ever since I came to know the Lord my senior year of high school, I've struggled with this passage. How do you rejoice in trials? But this is what James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How are you going to respond to trials? I want you to know they're expected. I also want you to know that that God's word encourages us encourages us to exalt in our trials. Number two. Chapter four, verses 13 through 14 says, listen to this, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of God and of glory rests upon you. Four times, Right there, four times Peter says, you are to rejoice. Why? Or maybe, how? How can I rejoice in this? I would submit to you, your suffering means fellowship with Christ. That's what it says there in verse 13. Those in fiery trials, for Christ's sake, I I think that team of missionaries is from Ohio. 17 of them plus the cab driver, there's 18 being kidnapped. Right now, 
They're asking $1 million for each of them. Five of them are children. How can those in fiery trials for Christ's sake respond? They need to remember that this is fellowship with Christ. Well, that's a different word of use of koinonia, isn't it? Normally we think of fellowshipping together, eating together, but here, fellowshipping with the sufferings of Christ. I'm reminded of the apostles in Acts chapter 5. They had been, pre- been preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus and then told not to and they continued and then they were beaten. And remember, they went away and they were praising God, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, I, I love this story, always have, in Daniel chapter three, the three Hebrew boys, not willing to bow before the idol, threatened with the fiery furnace, and they said, we will not bow. The Lord is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. I'm just gonna ask you, can you imagine how God must have felt at that moment? It's like, yeah, those are my boys. Paul says the same thing throughout his whole life as he he was persecuted. Would you follow along? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 through, through 18. This is at the very end of his life. He says, if I can have a... Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. But all deserted me, literally. Um, all but one, we're going to see it in a moment. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the, mouth, from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That was Paul's testimony. Is that yours? Next, your suffering, it means glory in the future. Verse 13. You know, this world tells us that glory or maybe the good life is really the absence of suffering. That you should do everything you can to be comfortable, to take it easy. We even say, hey, take it easy. But that's not God's thinking. That's this world's thinking. They say, if you're taking it easy, if you have comfort in that, you can rejoice. However, Peter often Interestingly, he links suffering, he links glory, and he links rejoicing. We looked at it in chapter one. So do the other New Testament writers. Um, it's just, it's like, wow, that is not, that's otherworldly thinking, isn't it? It's necessary to understand that God is not going to replace your suffering with glory. Rather, He will transform your suffering into glory. Let me say that again. God will not take away your suffering and replace it with glory. 
He will take your suffering and he will transform it into glory. Warren Wearsby says it's, it's like that, that unborn baby that's just about ready to come. It is bringing its mother intense pain. But that same baby, in just moments later, when it's delivered, brings that mother intense joy. Same baby. Suffering to joy. Paul, recall that he had that thorn in the flesh in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A thorn in the flesh is painful, but God changed that. He transformed that very thing into something for his glory. And I think of our Lord Jesus Christ. He took Calvary, a a, a figure of shame, a figure of pain. And what does it say in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2? Who for the what? The joy endured the cross, despising the shame. Are you willing to trust God to transform your suffering into his glory? Next letter, C. Your suffering brings the special ministry of the Spirit. It says that If you are insulted for the name of Christ, verse 14, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is a reference to that Shekinah glory of God. That Shekinah glory that was there at the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it represented the very presence and the power of God among his people. It is a reminder for our dear sisters and brothers all over the world who are in suffering and I can't help but think perhaps some of us in the future when suffering comes that the Lord will rest upon his own in a very special way. It says this spirit of glory will rest. The word rest there, it means to abide with. It means to actually to lean upon, to repose upon. In your outline, if you have it, I tried to give you what the symbol, the picture in my mind that came up when I, when I first read this, of this mother tenderly leaning and reposing against a child that was hurting. You see, when they're suffering for the name of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God tenderly and with great affection in a special way is present. You know, you, you think about In Acts chapter six, remember the deacon Stephen? The Bible says that here's a man that was full of power and he was full of grace. It says that uh, his opposers, when they tried to oppose him, they couldn't because they couldn't withstand the spirit of God in him. And at the end of chapter six, it says his face shone like what? An angel. I don't believe that he, was, he had rehearsed how his face should look and was just smiling and beaming that he did that in his own power. That is a result of the Spirit of God resting upon him. The glory of God resting upon him. It was visible. The word resting and this resting ministry of the Spirit is actually taken from Isaiah chapter 11, verses one and two. Again, if you're doing your study here, Pastor Andrew brought that to our attention. 
where it says this of the Messiah, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Here it is. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the, spirit and, and the fear of the Lord. Believers in fiery trials not only have a future hope, it is sure and future, yes, but there's also a present ministry of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of glory resting on them now. Paul says as much in Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, he says this, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, there's your koinonia, with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not, to, not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, I don't have it in your notes, and, and sorry, I should have. But you must put down verse 26. Please write that down in your notes. Because this is the future glory. In verse 26, in that same chapter of Romans 8, Paul speaks about the Spirit who is now praying for us he is with us in our, depending on what translation you have, it says, iniqu uh, not iniquities, in our, in our um, weaknesses or in our, um, what's the word? Infirmities, thank you. Infirmities. That word is this, these trials. The Spirit of God will be upon his people during their trials a present glory. The third thing that we need to respond, uh, the right way to, we need to respond to trials is this. We need to examine. You need to examine your trials. Chapter four, verses 15 through 18. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The purging that comes through the fiery trials, it's intended to burn all that dross, all that garbage away from our lives. It's for our good. It purifies us. There are some questions from this text that we should be asking ourselves. Three of them, in fact. One is, why am I suffering? Verse 15. You see, there is a suffering that's a result of con the consequence of sin. That should not be among us. Rather, Peter's use of this, this, this word, suffering as a Christian, it, it's significant. You see, the word Christian has only been used, it's only used three times in the Bible. In the book of Acts chapter 11, there at Antioch, these scoffers and mockers of these followers of Christ came up with a word. And they used it to ridicule. They said, oh, they're little Christs. That's the word Christian. So it was a, a derogatory word. In Acts chapter 26, verse 28, when Paul is giving his testimony before King Agrippa, Agrippa also uses it in a scoffing way. He says, 
Are you trying to make me a little Christ? And he uses the same word, Christian. But right here, Peter is taking this word that was used in a bad way, and he's transforming, actually, the Spirit of God is transforming the word. And he says, I'm proud to wear that badge. I am a little Christ. And any of you who are suffering for being a little Christ, being a Christian, that's a good thing. Next, am I ashamed? Or am I glorifying Christ? Verse 16. F.B. Meyer translates this word ashamed as let him not consider it disgrace. Have you ever backed away from standing up for Jesus because you were a little bit ashamed of what people might think? We all have. We all have. When I was reading this and preparing this, it it just, I I, I knew it, but it just hit me. You know who wrote this? Peter, Peter wrote this. This is the same Peter that the night Jesus was betrayed and he was taken away, denied even knowing him. I don't know the man. And if we were truthful with ourselves, we would say, we have been there. And like Peter said, we don't know the man to our shame. You know what's encouraging? This same Peter is one of the apostles who was there in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, preaching with boldness the name of Jesus, being beaten, and then walking away, rejoicing, counting himself worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. It reminds me of Paul's Words in chapter one of Romans, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The third question we should ask ourselves is, am I seeking to win the lost? I am not gonna take a lot of time. Uh, Pastor does bring it up in the study guide. I hope, again, that you would use this uh, to go through what this judgment is about. But it says, judgment shall begin at the household of God. We know this from Romans chapter 8, that this is not a judgment to condemnation for believers. Rather, I think what we're looking at here is what we've been talking about. This is a purification. This is a refining process. However, this judgment does progress to those, it says, who do not obey the gospel of Christ. Who are those? Those are people who are not saved. Those are unbelievers. What is their sure outcome? And that's, the, what, that's what the question is. It's rhetorical. What is their outcome? Well, we know their outcome. Without Christ, it's eternity in hell. What a horrible, horrible outcome. So it is fair to ask, how are we doing at reaching the lost? In our affliction, am I pointing others to Christ? I go back again to Stephen, 
So we looked at, just talked about chapter six, but in chapter seven, Stephen gives this huge, beautiful discourse on God's intervention and his work through history. And he comes to the point about Jesus. And as he's coming to this point, he accuses those that are there listening as being the stiff-necked people who put Jesus to death. And then they picked up stones and they began to stone him. And what does it say about Stephen? It says, Stephen at that time looks up into heaven. Heaven opens up for him and he sees Jesus Christ, not seated, but standing. I can only imagine Jesus going, he's mine. He's mine. Wow. This last point. How are we to respond to trials? We are to entrust our souls, entrust your soul to your creator. Verse 19, let, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This word therefore is just packed. It, it, it contains all that we hear and read in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. It, it reminds us of these trials that they are to be expected, that we are to rejoice in them, to exalt in them, that we are to examine ourselves in light of them, that carrying around the badge of Christian is a good thing, and with humility and mercy and love for lost mankind, we declare Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and Savior, and there is no other. And we can entrust our souls then to our faithful creator. The word entrust here is an accounting term. It means to de deposit for safekeeping. Paul to uh, Timothy uses the same word. And I'm reading from the New American Standard because in the New American Standard, I think it rightly says that, that the entrusting is the one you do to, to God. For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to protect, here it is, what I have entrusted to him until that day. Depositing your soul for eternity to our faithful creator, what kind of rewards are you? You can't compare. Your own soul even if he allows you to go through the trial of death. What is that? That is a step into the presence of Jesus. The rewards are eternal. The value that you get for this deposit, it is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And it's not only future. It's a present glory. He is tenderly, affectionately with you. He is glorifying himself. He wants to through your trial right now. I don't know where you're at, friends. I have to imagine in a group this size that some of you are going through some deep trials. I want to encourage you. You can put your trust. You can deposit your soul to a faithful creator. He is worth it.
Let's pray. Father, our lives are yours. We are in your hands. Do with us as you please. We would confess that the subject of suffering is not pleasant. The idea of going through trials, fiery trials, is a bit strange for us. Would you help us to be willing to be, to do whatever it is for the name of Jesus Christ that you would have for us? Once again, we lift our brothers and sisters up, those who presently are are suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ and his name. God, help them to know your presence with them right now. Help them to, with humility and boldness, declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to a lost world. And may there be souls of Tarsus that that look and, and are amazed. And maybe their lives changed for even greater glory for Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, you're dismissed.